So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. So excited to talk today with Gary Wilson. We're going to be talking about personal finance and getting started in real estate. When, why, all the questions that people have that they're getting started in real estate. And it, this is going to be a great podcast, particularly for those people that have maybe may be wanting to make the leap now but have been waiting on the sidelines, uh, this is one you need to hear. So this is going to be a great one. I'm not going to keep going from there. I'll just bring Gary right in. And uh, with that, Gary, how's it going? It's going quite well. Thank you very much for having me on board, man. I appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, share and help help everybody learn a little bit. Yeah, appreciate it too. So uh, now, uh you, we, we were talking a little before. You're, you're actually kind of stuck in Canada at the moment, but where uh, normally where do you reside? Uh, it's, it's, it's Florida, Lake City, Florida. It's just a tiny little place up in North Florida where I-10 and I-75 cross. That's your McDonald's gas station and traffic light right there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So a uh, lot warmer there than where you're currently at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. The, the, it's been the weirdest winter up here. It's, I mean, we're at 660, you know, warm, and the trees are already budding, which is really unusual for for Ontario. I mean, it's time of years. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, this year. But I, but I'm okay. It, it reminds me of Ireland right now. Really misty, and you know, I, but I, I enjoy. I love. It's all farms. Beautiful, wonderful people. If you ever get a chance to come up here, all my fellow Americans, wherever you're from, you really get away up here. I mean, literally beyond the farms is wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, total. It's amazing. That's why I like it up here. You know? Yeah. No, I'm you know I'm from Idaho. I I love that stuff. So cool. that's yes, that that's right up my alley. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Canada, mostly western part. The Canadian Rockies are just beautiful, be stunning, just absolutely amazing. I could, you know, that whole the the northern Rocky area for me is just home. You know, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, the particularly the Selkirks and the lower uh, part of Canada coming in there. Just it, it's just unlike anything else. There's it just is. it's just pristine. It's just you know it, it, that Northern Rocky was the last place to be discovered in the United States. Uh, for, you know, it wasn't until really Lewis and Clark came across. Um, but uh, you know when they got there too, the Native American tribes or anything like that, they were thriving um, because of the abundant life and everything. It's just an amazing, amazing area. But yeah, so I mean, tell me a little bit here. You focus on real estate, but what is, what is your 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 focus area? Where do you really like? What's do you have a niche, or what what do you like to focus in on? Yeah, it really is a niche. So so it, the beginning is I started investing in January 1986. I literally just got out of college in December '85, and within 30 days I was buying my first. I didn't buy the house. I actually bought a house with my college roommate Socrates, is his name. So we bought this four bedroom, two bedroom house bathroom house together. His dad showed us how to do it. His dad was a big investor. And the other two guys that paid to rent the other two rooms, their rent paid our cost. Oh, uh, house group. hacking. Nice. Yeah. So I, like, well, that's like the best good. place for young people to get started in real estate. I, I'm not kidding. You know, uh, uh, my co-host who's normally on here, uh, Rock, that's how he got started too, was house hacking. And I just, I, I, I think that is such a no-brainer for people you get out, you don't need your whole house to yourself. Go house hack, and you're putting an asset on the balance sheet immediately. You're lowering, lowering your expense line. Um, I love it. That's awesome. So you did that right out of college. And where was this? 
This was in Virginia Beach, Virginia. So okay. we were uh, we were living a life, man. You know, parties and surfing, and you know, just basically, you know, doing everything his dad said don't do. Yeah, yeah, that's how <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> so, yep, thirty five years old. I wake up. I'm like, wow, I've got a family, I got kids. I'm in the corporate world, and I hated it. You know, really. And I remember at the closing day, let's get a kick out of this. When we close on a house, he was pounding his chest like that. So you know, if you boys do it, I tell you that you won't have to work for anybody else when you're thirty five years old. And I think I wish I'd listened to him. I started investing when I was 35 in earnest. I mean, like intentional building up so a portfolio of small hold rentals. Hold on, before, you know? before the 35, though, what'd you go into? Where I, was in I was in banking. I did. Uh, I was a software guy in banking industry. I worked on a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And, you know, I, behind, I was in the room behind the room and never saw the outdoors. And I got promoted. They were, I, I left a, a corporate VP and I just felt like I was dying. I mean, spiritually, that's what it felt like. You know, yeah. the skeleton with the cobwebs, that, that was me, yep. you know. I left out of there, man, never looked back. It's been 17 years now. And, you know, I do whatever I have to do for my family. But I tell you, that sense of freedom, you can't put a price tag on that. I can't, I don't know how to put that. I wish I could hug everybody and have them feel that feeling yeah, of you know, it's, freedom. You know? It's true. It's interesting because the line... You know, the, there's nothing more addictive than, you know, heroin in a paycheck. And it's true. It It's true because um, it's such an emotional and it's I feel like it's like a, you know, Pavlon response. Like we're just it, it's just trained. And that's hard to break out of. It really is. I mean, even till today, it's like, you know, for me, there's something about that consistency and everything. But when you get to a point where you don't need that and you stop thinking around that, it is. It's like breaking free. It's like all of a sudden there's just so many more options. There's worlds of opportunity. There's, you know, it was the same thing with me. And, you know, I was, I was bound by clients. So I, you know, I did sales and, um, for me, it was just, I, it was, I had to get a new client. I liked what I did, but I was at servitude. It was literally, and I was scared to lose the clients because it meant a drastic change in my income and, oh, what will my expense be next month? You know, and it's like, I, you, you just don't want to live like that. Life should, it, life should be progressive, not always worrying about, you know, a paycheck, not worried about getting that, that money in. So, no, I, I mean, I, I don't know that there's anybody that can't relate to that feeling. Everybody out there saying, listen, I, 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 you get sick and tired of worrying about money. You get sick and tired of not being in control, and you know there's another world out there, and you know there's all these things that you may want to or may not want to. You don't even know yet, and you want to explore, and especially at 35. I mean, that for most people, they're in, the, they're in their job. They're in the corporate world. They've been in it long enough to see and I think understand how that world really works and then also start to question and start to say, listen, is there... Is there a better way to go about it? So how'd you break free? I, you know, I started investing. So when I started buying little duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes and doing all that no money down stuff, and I don't, I'm not knocking the no money down stuff. It works. It has its places, just not every place. What I learned in that what, next what five year years. What year was this? Uh, so that was, um, so 86 I bought the first house. The second one was 19. Late 97, first third, fourth, fourth quarter of 97, I bought a pair of fourplexes. Then I bought a then I bought a triplex or did I buy a duplex? I bought a duplex. And you're and saying no triplex. money down. So explain to people what that is, how you yeah. did that. 
people because people sure, say the, first of all you know it's real estate so you have to have money so yeah explain correct. well the most simple example of that is owner of financing so there's like the like the um the duplex for example was owned by an attorney she was going through a divorce moving to new orleans she wanted to sell it and she put in there possible owner financing i said okay i'll call her up so what are you looking for she said here's what i want in uh forty two thousand bucks eight percent at the time bank loans were still eight nine percent so i thought well i'll take that i'll take that bet and uh she wanted five thousand down so i said okay and all i did is i wrote a check for my line of credit so a line of credit is it wasn't secured it wasn't a home equity line of credit it was a personal line of credit they still do that today so it's an unsecured like a checking account you draw on and that's all i did and i've done other like the, the house we bought in 86 we actually assumed the owner's first mortgage. It was a VA mortgage. And you can still do that today. And then he had a second mortgage that we refinanced. And then the remaining equity, we gave him a third mortgage. So can you still assume VA mortgages? You sure can. Yep. Wow. And a lot of- it's, I didn't realize that. I I thought that ended. That okay. That's that's really good to know. Okay, that that's interesting. So you can assume them. So you were doing owner financing. You were assuming some of these mortgages, which essentially, once again, you're using your line of credit. Which you go to the bank and say, "Hey, listen, I may need some cash to do some investing, things like that. I'd like to pull out or get this line of credit, which is essentially just money that you can tap and that you'll pay back based upon your income." They say, "Great, whatever. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. If you ever want it, get it." And the moment you tap it, the interest rate starts and you start paying it, you tap that, go buy a home, and that's now your down payment. So you're using the bank for the down payment on the home. The home is then cash flowing, paying for the mortgage on the home, and paying for your line of credit from the bank, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. And there's yeah. a lot of other strategies. I want to emphasize to people, though, is I don't regret ever doing it. I'm glad I did it because it got me started. But what I learned from really six more successful investors that had bigger properties they actually were using cash sometimes all cash i'm thinking okay i'm going to learn how to do that how did they get on cash and it's hard to be on a cash basis when you're leveraged up to your eyeballs right because you're a lot of your money's going on the interest payment so what i figured out was if i just start plunking down a little bit of money up front 20 percent down payment i worked my way up where i could buy pay them for all cash it took everybody listening just know this that didn't happen overnight you're just looking at the result of 34 and a half years of investing in the early days it took a while to get that engine going, but once I did, you took you talk about borrowing the, the line of credit. Here's what I did. This is exactly what I did. I got what's called a blanket mortgage on my existing properties, set up as a business line of credit, went out and bought the next big property, fixed it up, raised the rents, made it more valuable, then put its own first mortgage on that, took out enough money to pay back the line of credit. Now, when I paid back the line of credit and added another income-producing asset in my portfolio. What did that lender do for me on that line of credit? He raised it. And then that's when I, I turned the corner to AG. So that's when really life changed for me. And I realized now I know what these guys are doing. And if you, here's a good tip for you. Just go on and Google the word REIT, R-E-I-T, Real Estate Investment Trust. Call them, email them, ask them for their prospectuses and their annual reports, right? Financial statements. And you'll see that's exactly what they're doing. Now, sometimes they'll just sell the property once it's built up. But sometimes they refinance it, pull the cash out, and buy another one. That's the strategy, just on a bigger scale. So what I want everybody to remember is this: is I didn't start off with there. I started off with a little half of a house. Okay, just get into game swinging the bat, and everything you learn, you can apply later on a bigger scale. But just I, I this is so when you're on a cash basis, it allows you to grow faster. Okay, it's not that you don't borrow; you just borrow differently or strategically once you have the asset under control. 
And it, that's what gives you the freedom that you're looking for. So that's now were you basically time. using the Burr strategy where you buy, rehab, refinance, and then repeat? Because, um, you know, that's essentially what we do on storage facilities. We buy underperforming facilities. I turn them around. We can refinance or, you know, and sometimes what we do, and you talked about the all-cash basis too, we, we, we would – either uh, pull out cash or we'd have an open line of credit where we buy the facility outright, say, listen, I'll close in 30 days, all cash. Then we buy, we close, we go, we straighten it up. And then six months later, we refinance it at the higher amount. Now we own the facility. The down payment, our um, debt to equity is 60%, yet we have no money in it. This is something that I think I talk about on the podcast a lot, and I think people hear a lot of people talk about, and they think for some reason that's a high-level strategy when it's, it's not. It's a scalable strategy. That's why it's awesome. You can do that with a duplex, $150,000 duplex, and you can do it with a $25 million storage facility. You can do it with hotels. You can do it with 150 million apartment buildings. Right? It's in a completely scalable strategy that, too, one of the reasons we like it is that it, it's not over-leveraging. It's not you're, not, you know, you're not getting yourself in trouble. In fact, our debt-to-equity level is really low um, because of that strategy. Uh, so it, it, it kind of is a best of both worlds, and you, you can play with it at a very low, low level. I love it. So as you are accruing, did you go straight into multifamily and these fourplexes, threeplexes, or was it, were you using it across the board? Did you ever go down to single family houses or were you trying to, to get more doors? Yeah, it, we actually did. We, we, I did uh, at one time had a lot of single families and the really the strategy was this is, I knew it was easier to sell a single family home than to sell a fourplex, right? There's just more people can buy a single family home. So what I realized if I just kept a, 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 a corral of 20 or 22 single family homes, if I needed to raise cash pretty quickly and I didn't want to remodel refinance, I could just sell, get that cash and do what I wanted to do. So what I would do is I'd look for the, the, the three-bedroom, two-bathroom ranchers or four-bedroom, two-story homes in neighborhoods that I believe were getting ready to uh, go through gentrification, which is a you know, big improvement at neighborhood level. And I'd sit on them. I'd rent them out for three, four, or five years. And later on, that I could can then remodel more for a sale and resale for profit. But one thing I want to emphasize here to everybody, check this out. What you said is exactly right. It's the Burr method. You can get scalable. But when you get the bigger buildings, what we look for, same thing with the REITs, the Real Estate Investor Trust is instead of the uh, remodel, like, like deferred maintenance, we call it remanage. We're looking for management issues. It's easier than when you get used to this, guys, it's easier to solve a management issue than it is to solve a bunch of deferred maintenance. Like you go into a wall and fix a pipe, all of a sudden you're gonna change. You've seen it happen before. You think your remodeling project's gonna be three months and yeah, 10,000 It's the bucks. difference between <laughs> quick fixes or CapEx heavy fixes. In fact, you know that that is funny, but people ask me, why did I go into storage? And it's because of operational efficiencies. And when they ask, I don't understand that, like if I want to turn around a dilapidated uh, apartment building, my capital expenditure is going to be huge. I got to kick people out and I got time waiting. And so it's storage. It's not that it's not complicated. It's not that it's easy. It's just different. It's operationally focused. So we're talking about employee issues. We're talking uh, about sales processes, 
revenue pricing strategies, all this different stuff, operationally speaking, at the back end, you can turn around. So I completely understand that. I, I love that idea where you add the M for management. Yes. That's the low hanging fruit. It really is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's very stressful for people that, that haven't raised their rents for a while or they got you know, a, a high vacancy rate, low collections rate. That's stressful, right? It's like this, like the virus. You can't see it, but it, it creates a lot of stress. So we know that we can go in there. We can get really good deals on those buildings. And within a year, man, we can have the place filled up, raise the rents. Everybody's happy. And that thing's an income producing monster. Um, so that's, that's the, sh the only shift we made was in that little piece of strategy. And uh, we still have the fur betas, but we try to minimize that and focus on management issues. Now, and that's now what the, answer me, yeah. answer me this. So let's go back. I want to get a good time frame because you're, you're just talking. This is such good stuff. I, I appreciate it. It's fundamental. It's universal. And there's no time constraints on this strategy, right? This is the same stuff that has been playing out since real estate was here. Um, and, and, and it always will be. It's, it should be some fundamental principles that everybody bases their overall investing strategy if you are a hands-on investor. Now, when you started at 35, how many units did it take for you to get to become financially free? And what was the time frame associated with that? Yeah, well, this sounds going to sound crazy. That first year... That, that year, I was 35 years old when I started. I literally bought 30 units in that next year. Thir 10 buildings, some duplexes, some pro So you were really unsure about it. You weren't sure if that's what you wanted to do, and you just <laughs> went a little into it and bought 30 units. <laughs> that's <laughs> it, that. yeah. That's awesome. And, yeah, and I, I literally was making, I was making as much at the end of that first year for my rentals as I was making for my corporate job. The thing is, I was too scared to leave. I had two children. I had a 401k and vacation. I had a father-in-law that was like, uh, you better, don't you ever leave that job, son. Don't yeah. that, that's, I'm like, holy crap. So in any case, uh, what I did was I took the next year and paid down. I had the lines of credit stuff, like paid them off in the next year. Now I had equity, cash flow, and available credit. Then I went back out and I really started going bankbusters. And by the time I was 40 years old, I had whatever, 250 some odd units or something. I was like, I just died. I had no reason to go to work. I just told us, look, I don't have to work anymore. And a uh, funny thing is, funny story. We had just had a major layoff and I was in now an upper level manager. I had to lay people off. It was horrible. So when I left the day I left, which was several weeks later, um, I had my, my, my dolly full of my boxes and my personal effects. So going out down to the street, right? Crossing over with my, with my tie and doing all that. And these guys looked at me and said, hey, oh, we feel so bad for you, man. We're sorry you lost your job. Can we help you? And I left, I was like, Hell, I didn't lose my job. I just retired. <laughs> yeah. You know? So uh, that was. Okay, there's a couple things I want to point out. We, we've had this talk on this discussion, and it is such a big issue for people. When do I leave my job? I like that you held off. Because when you're talking about investing, this is a di this this is a different structure than entrepreneurship. More so that I if I don't give 100 percent of time, I'm going to lose mass. We, we're talking about a strategic, repeatable pattern that is based upon your finances and your income in order for you to scale. And instead, you took an extra year to reposition yourself that allowed you to have the base for explosion. I did this too. When we were building our real estate portfolio, me and my partner worked for four years while building it and dumped everything back into it so we could have a really good platform to, to run and to explode off of. Um, it's, that's not a bad situation because there's so many hidden costs 
that people don't realize when it comes to employment in corporate America. You bought a, brought a few of these up, and you got to remember these, right? If you're doing your freedom number, so if you're building out your own personal financial statement and saying, listen, I get whatever it is, $4,000 a month, that's my goal. Well, you actually don't get just $4,000 a month. That's just what happens to come into your bank account, right? You have everything from you have taxes, you have health insurance, you have vacations, you have ancillary benefits, whatever those may be. And so that total compensation package, which is what you have to really analyze, is what is the total compensation that I receive from working at this employer? And that's what needs to be made off. And I can't tell you how many people are premature. They go, they leave, they realize, holy cow, this wasn't nearly enough money. Then they have to go get back and get a job. So what happens is it doesn't accelerate their growth. It dampers and it hurts their growth dramatically where you took the time, pay off the debts, get situated. So when you left, it wasn't like, okay, I left, but I'm financially free, but I can't do anything. I just can sit here, right? No, you could explode. You, you set yourself up for growth. Now, after this, this first year, you got 30 units. The next year you shore things up. Where are you focusing? Large apartment buildings, still small duplexes. Where'd you go? Yeah, for me, it's definitely multifamily. I, I, I love storage because it's, it's such a, a, a efficient model. Um, but my focus was ended up being on multifamily. So, I, so what happened uh, when I retired that, that year, I was able to go out and buy a 78-unit apartment complex. And that was the one that put, put me on top. because my, So my criteria for retiring was not just to have enough money to meet my monthly to match my meet or beat my corporate income plus all the benefits, right? But also want to have enough capital that was that was matching what I had in my 401k, right? And what that did is allow me to have multiple projects going on once I had so I so a lot of a lot of capital outlay, but also had a lot of income coming in. So when I left that next year, I actually felt guilty. I'm like, my gosh, my neighbor's going off to work every morning. I'm sitting around my deck with a cup of coffee, read the paper, you know. And ended up actually working harder. It ended up working harder. And uh, and I finally, about another year later, I finally realized I gave myself permission to, to realize I, I, I bought my own freedom. And it's okay to do that. I just had this horrible programming as a child that rich people are lucky and money doesn't grow on trees. And you got to put your money under the mattress and all this negative stuff. It, just, it took me a while to un, unprogram all that and uh, really realize... You know what? I, here's I can give you a big connection here. I actually was I pray like please God, how how is what I'm doing valuable? How am I? How, what's the what's the? Can, I don't feel right. And I and all of a sudden this is the power of prayer. I had a guy named Austin Testimony come up to me literally the next day and he said, Hey Gary, we got this duplex. We just he was with a Saint Vincent of Paul Society, and he said this church man inherited this duplex. A parishioner died. They don't want it. They're not in real estate. You think you'd like to buy it? And I said, I saw I'll tell you later. So I bought it. And at the closing, I said, Hey, we've been using that to sponsor a refugees family from refugees from Bosnia. He said, Would you keep doing that? You don't have to, we just ask it. And I was like, ta-da, the light went off. That was God's message. Offer some of my housing to refugee families. So so fast forward, that 70 unit apartment I told you about ended up making 75% of it available to this is years later, to families from Burma and Nepal, refugee families. And we gave them a $25 break on the rent. The Jewish Community Center and Catholic Charities combined to pay the deposits. And those people went to work. And those people ended up being my best tenants. That building 
as of the fifth of every month had a 95% collection rate. I never saw that anything ever room before. So that what I ended up doing, I just, just doing the, the giving thing, ended up giving back. But I felt that's when I finally felt my connection. Like, here's what, here's how I can leverage what I'm doing to serve others and not just provide housing, but to, I, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but that's why, that's why I'm so happy now. I used to be not happy. Nothing, there's, there's nothing worse than having a lot of money and not being happy. See, money doesn't buy you happiness. It gives you toys and vacations. It's like you, you'd lost purpose almost. It's like you felt like, you're like, okay, hey, I, I like what I'm doing. I'm financially free and stuff, but you, you, did, you were missing the purpose side of it. And that, that you know, filled you. I, no, I, this is a really important part that a lot of people forget. You know, financial freedom stuff, that's, that's great, but you really need to love what you do. You need to have purpose. You need to get back. It's one of the reasons I do do this podcast, right? It, it, it's very fulfilling. It's a great way to get information out to tell people how we're doing what we're doing because it makes a big difference on people's lives. And that fulfillment is really important. And financial freedom allows you to do those things that you couldn't have done before. It allows you to reach out, allows you to help. It gives you resources and tools to pursue passions, right? And I don't just mean giving back. I'm not even talking about charity. I'm talking about passions that you may have in any you know aspect that allows you to be entrepreneurship, build, grow, give people jobs, really control not only your situation, but help improve the situation of others. That is just awesome. I, I really do love that. What's really neat about it is, and I'll tell everybody, anybody who's ever felt that way, like you have that guilty feeling, just ask yourself, what do people need? Right now, everybody's running around scared. And I'm not saying this stuff isn't true. It just doesn't help you take action and get results. So make someone else happy. Bring them joy. I promise you, you can't, you can't feel down when you're helping lift somebody else up. It's impossible. And just think about this. You can help a lot more people when you have a lot more money. Okay? So, so think about that. Okay? If you want to help people, do it. God gave you the talent to, to build wealth and income. By gosh, do it. And I, I tell you that, you know, I know I'm starting to sound like I'm preaching here, but that's that's the joy comes from the service. The, the fulfillment comes from service. And I didn't feel that 30 years ago. I didn't. I didn't even know what I, you know, people I'd hear Zig Ziglar say, helping up other people get what they want. We'll plenty of what you want. I'm like, well, how does that work? You know, <laughs> you know, but it's true. You just it takes faith. You just got to faith and action. Just have faith and take action. And I promise you, you'll you'll see the results, you know. No, I couldn't agree more. That's fantastic. Now, when you, how many units, um, when you bought this, this 75 unit building and do you focus solely on large apartment buildings now? Yeah. What's your, what's your strategy today? Like what you've had this great progression, but what is your overall strategy today? So what I do now is, um, you know, my life's obviously evolved and I've grown, I've learned to develop things. So what I do now is actually, I do joint ventures. I partner with other investors. I provide funding, just that there's different strategies. You can be a lender, you can be an equity partner, you can get profit share, you can be in a combination of those three things. So there's a group I'm in called GoBundance, a big mastermind group. Yeah, uh, I'm in GoBundance too. Oh my gosh, this is meant to be. Yeah, so in any case, uh, there you go. So that's our, you know, tagline, healthy, wealthy, generous, better, seeking lead epic lives. So me, you know, Andrew Cushman, Pat, Pat Hyman and I went to junior high together. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we, we dated sisters. Go figure, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so in any case, uh, uh, small world. So in any case, yeah. uh, I, I do more investing like that now. So I don't, a lot of times I don't even see the properties anymore. I just, I know I trust Andrew Cushman. 
and I get to see the numbers. And I've Pat and Mike and I, I'm Rock Thomas. We've known each other for years. Rock Thomas and I are both are sons of named Andrew, both the same exact age. And Rock and I did that metabolic age test years ago. We were 52 at the time. Both of us came back with the same result. It said we were metabolically 26 years old. Now explain you know, that. Explain that to people. This is this is cool stuff. Uh, yeah. What is this test? What are you talking about here? So they give you a test about what your daily habits are. You know, when you wake up, what you do, what you eat, when you eat, how to eat, when you exercise, how to exercise, all that stuff. And it's a lot of other questions about that kind of help to figure out if you're basically a happy person. And uh, it gives you a result at the end. It turns out I was literally half my my chronological age. And it was funny that we did that contest with push-ups. And uh, my group was all guys in their 30s. And they were getting, they were in like 20, 30 push-ups. I did 86 freaking push-ups. And uh, broke the previous year's record. And, uh, and I, I feel like I'm showing off. I'm not, I don't mean to show it off to tell you. Um, I, every day I wake up, pray, meditate, exercise, you know? And that's how I start my day. I don't even turn on the light switch, the computer, the phone, anything till I've done that. Then when I turn the world on, I'm the best person I can be for the rest of the world, right? Yeah. Um, Get so yourself I, I, right first. Center. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's just awesome. And that is – a lot of people don't understand. That's really hard to do. And what we're talking about here – People, you know, it's not off. It's not a thing. It's really important. You you talk about age-defying health. What it simply means is that, you know, when you're 70, you don't feel 70. You don't act like you're 70, right? So you defy that age bracket that you're in. And it just means that you're, you're positioning yourself in the best possible. You're staying healthy. You're staying on top of your game. You're staying, you know, the best you know, version you can. And this, these, these are things that take practice. These are things that take consistency and they're, they're difficult things. They're difficult for me. They're difficult for others, but they make big differences. They make really big difference in your overall attitude. Um, the way you approach investing, your thought process, your strategy, those that you connect with. So networking, all sorts of stuff that ends up playing in your overall returns. And those returns may not just be financial, but they're actual returns on life. You know, there's no reason to be financially free if you're a horrible, miserable person and you don't feel good about yourself. Then that defies the reason. Like, you know, no, you, you want to become, you know, financially spiritually, emotionally, you know, free, all these things to where you can uh, be improving. I'm a huge believer in progress and economic progress is, uh, uh, it, it's like, it's a byproduct of mental progress. It's a byproduct of personal progress. Um, and people that are limited or can't or, you know, restrained in some of those aspects, um, it's very hard to get yourself financially right when you're trailing in, in, in some of these other aspects. So it's really important. And I think that's really great. You, you brought that up and, and talked about it because that is a great focus. But now you're basically sponsoring others, right? And so you're using your capital and your means, sponsor others to go with those. So talk to me about how you identify like how, what are the, what are the projects that you're choosing to get behind and invest in and why? Well, really what I look, what, what, what I do now is, um, here, here's, I'll start with this. See, a lot of people when I ask them, what do you want? They'll say, I need, so, they always go back to money. I need so much of money. This is a pile of 10 million bucks, whatever, so much money. It's just, 
And I understand all that. But what I get them to think of is a mind shift, a shift in consciousness. Okay, don't think of money as the goal. Think of money as a measurement of you achieving your goal. Okay. So the money is, you, is it has exchange value. Money has no intrinsic value on its own. It has exchange value. You got to exchange it for something. So what is it you look at exchange it for? And let the money be the measurement of that. Okay. Instead of being the goal. And it really, that really helps people put things in perspective and focus on what they should be doing. So if my focus right now is, um, I'm te- I teach, there's lots of people that teach people how to invest out there. I, I, I can do that too. I've done it for years. But what I do now is I teach the real estate agents how to work with the investors. It's, a, it's like a small, tiny little world, a niche within a niche. But it's so important because if you're an investor, you know, like I do, when I first got started, I couldn't find an agent that could help me in the residential world. They didn't know what they were doing. I thought, my gosh, I got to teach them. Yeah. So I literally. That's, that's a the, really big issue. I mean, you know, when when you're talking with people, because one of the biggest things people are like, oh, how do I find a deal? Right. So that the mechanics of deal flow and creating deal flow pipelines um, and how those deals come in. Right. For for us, you know, brokers are an intrinsic part of real estate and doing business in real estate. Um, the the flow of information and quality ones are I mean, they are literally worth their weight in gold, and they are a dime a dozen, which is a problem because they should all be stellar. You should, they should all be willing to help understand, and they, but they're not. So you know, we work with I think two real brokers we've ever even bought properties from. Fifty percent of our deals came from brokers; the other fifty percent came from our pipeline uh, that we created to find deals. But ninety-nine percent of all brokers we won't even work with. Because they don't know how to work with us. They don't understand. And the ones that do, um, I could tell you right now in the last five years, we have one broker that has received easily, easily in commissions from us over $2.5 million. There you go. <laughs> one guy. Yeah. And the only reason is he just understood what we wanted. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's perfect. It's a yeah. big, it's a big deal in real estate and it's, it's, it's a starting step for people. So how do you, if someone's starting to get in the real estate game and they're looking for brokers, what brokers, how do they find a good broker? One that, well, I, we actually have, so there's uh we've got about probably 3000 of them all over us and Canada now. And, we, and they're, they're certified. They're called, so everybody look for this certified investor agent. All right. There's only one way they can get that certification. And that's through, that's through me, right through us. So, uh, so I've trained these people over the last, you know, most of them in the last five years, but um, uh, they're easy to find, you know, I mean, I can, I don't, I don't know if I want me to, I can just tell you how they can find them. They can, if they go to, there's a website they can go to. So if you, if you guys want to go to um, myinvestmentservices.com, upper, upper banner up top, you click on members area, click on that. The next page comes up. If you're already a member, you go to the left. If you're not a member, you go to the right. And you can do it for free. You don't have to. There's no charger. Just just log in, and you you got to. They give you a month for free, and then you set yourself up, and you can go in and find all these investor agents. Okay, they're on. A, they have profiles on this. And what map. makes these in, investor agents like? I understand, but tell people yeah. what separates these uh, aside from your neighbor Sally, who's yeah. been selling houses. What's the difference? Yeah. We are literally teaching them how to invest. So there's two parts to this. Part A, you got to understand the product, which is investing. So we teach them, how do you flip? How do you buy rentals? How do you wholesale? How do you manage properties? And then we also teach them the marketing, which they, they need to know how to, to, to promote themselves and get the investor. They got to speak the investor language. So they're not only taught how to attract you and work with you. We want them to invest. We tell them, 
we're going to show you how to do this. We want you to be in the game with investors so you learn how to invest the right way. They'll learn as much from you and me in the field as, as they ever will from reading the book. So we know that. It's just human nature. Teach them how to fish. Don't give them a fish. Teach them how to fish. So they're taught how to fish first and foremost because at the end of the day, we want them to take the new commissions they'll get, the knowledge they've gained so they can invest themselves. Because let's face it, when we go to a heart surgeon, if they said, hey, I never operated on a heart before. I've been a podiatrist my entire life. No, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> so why would investors go to agents if all they know how to do is point out the pretty carpet and the chandeliers? doesn't make sense. So these guys know what they're doing. About 3,000 of them strong. doesn't cost you any more. Just, you know, just you, but you want to use the right person. And that, that's who they are, you know, sort of yeah. find investor agents. No, I, I agree. Um, let me, I think a great way to break this down is when, when we're looking at deals and dealing with um, investors, agents, a lot of deals are predicated on future value. These are called performance. Um, I hate them. Um, I hate performance for a few reasons, because first of all, they're just bull. Um, it, it's they're you know, if somebody gives me a performance that's five years out, I look at them, I'm like, what, you just like making crap yeah. up like yeah. it just it, it means nothing so yeah. oh well this per, your internal rate of returns 15 percent because in five years when you sell this at a five cap and you've had a four percent rate increase every single year for the last five years it's just like they're just making the future up now that doesn't mean i don't use performance i build them out i need to understand the future value the only difference is i know uh, i can pre, uh, predict in a short term but i look at the actual current market what's existing. So I call it money sitting on the table. So the difference between today and what the rest of the market, that asset, the rest of the market is, that is tangible. I can close that gap and receive it. It's not made up. It's not future. There's the actual difference right there. That's where I look at the performance, right? The difference. But this whole thing about, you know, you all have brokers that'll give me, first of all, their numbers are wrong. Their expense items are wrong. They're attributing a 25 expense ratio when it should be 36. And then they're saying it's worth a five cap in a fourth tier market, um, and they don't understand why. They don't understand why they put a fourth cap. And I, like, I can tell everyone that's listening to this right now why the real estate agent got to a four cap at a 26% expense ratio. Because the guy that's selling it said, I want $4 million for it. And the guy said, okay. And then he does the numbers to get to $4 million. That's not how it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be, what's the property worth? Let's look at this. In this market, we get a, you know, a seven and a half cap. And this expense ratio has got to be 36. So you want 4 million. It's worth 3.2. So how are we going to come to this? Then a good agent sits down and explains this and walks through this with the seller. And so when they come to you, the numbers are right. And they're not making assumptions that are out of whack, and they're not trying to get to a seller's number. This difference is so important. It's so important, and so many people mess this up. And, you know, it, it just, obviously, you can tell I'm passionate about it because I get so tired of brokers sending us deal after deal after deal, which numbers that are just made up, they mean nothing. I have to re-underwrite it, send it back, and say your property that's worth $6 million's worth four and a half. If that's not even a talking point, then we're not talking. Move on. And um, and that's why, too, honestly, if you, if you are a, a real estate broker listening to this, which a lot of you are, and this is a real estate-centric you know, podcast, I am telling you right now, 
90% of everything brokers send me, I just delete. Um, and those are the reasons why. Uh, so if you're what, what Gary's talking about, you fix some of these things, you get in the head of the investor. I mean, yeah. you're, it, it's, you'll be set yeah. for life. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, um, we have a calculator you probably would love. It's, it's, uh, six columns, column A is the pro forma with what the other person gives you. Column B is the actual data. And all the other columns are what if scenarios, like you change the variables. Because what I learned early on investing is if I look at a property face value, most of them don't work. That's what I realized, wait a minute, how can I make this work? But based on real data, that's why we have the pro forma and the actual data. I tell you what I'll do. I'll send that to you. I'll send it to you today. And then you can share it. It's uh, it's on the website. Anybody that does go there, they can get it for free there. But I'll just send it to you. And you we'll, can share we'll put it, it in the show. We'll put it in the show notes and you guys, everybody can download it. Um, so, go, yeah, we'll have it at Cashflow to Freedom, and we'll put your name on it. Thanks, Gary. That's awesome for our listeners. They'll love this. Yeah. Because this, this is important. I use that on my personal ones. So the yeah. personal ones I use, I have column A and column B. Um, column A is actual, so and that's where I base what I buy off of. Then column B is what I can do with it, right? And then the spread from A and B is where I make my money. Once you understand that right there, that simple concept – you have just now discovered the X on the treasure map. Yeah, that, that is, that's, that's absolutely key. It's critical. That, that, that logic or that mindset to be able to think exponentially and not just look at something two-dimensionally, but, but turn it sideways, backwards, upside down, slice it across the middle, open it up. I mean, that's most successful investors. That is one common trait that we all have in common. I don't care if they're new investors or rich or poor, broke, whatever. The ones that have that attitude and that mindset are always the ones that, that succeed. Absolutely. And you know, I like, I think that too, a lot of people, and correct me if you're wrong, a lot of people, this is the part that it, for me, it gets the fear out of the way, right? Like, like, let's focus on analytical data that is known. It's real. We can look at this. I can see, I can model it and perform it over another. And if it's, if it meets my criteria, I do the deal. So I set up my criteria and this is important. And, and, and like, I've kind of talked about, you know, brokers here and correct you, you, you I, I want you to give me your insight on this too, Gary, because it's not just brokers, right? The the person going to the broker needs to know what they want. So yeah. I need to go yeah. to a broker and say, listen, I need a 50 plus or a 60 plus thousand square foot facility. I need it to be on a road that has this much traffic. I need it to not have these things, right? So I want it to be a turnaround facility and I want it to be in populations of X. Now go find it. If you go to a broker and say, I want a good deal. They go, okay, well, here's a good deal. And you go, that's not a good deal. And you're like, okay, well then tell me what's a good deal. That's not fair. It's not fair to the broker. You and 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 if you're working with a good broker, they'll turn it around on you. They know who good customers are. And the good brokers want to work with good customers. So if you're not a good customer, that good broker won't work with you. Am I right? That's right. You I you learn to be selective. I built my own broker's company just based on this model. And in the the marketing we do allows us to to repel the ones we don't want to work with and attract the ones we do. Because we, we, every, we, their success is our success. The only way we can be successful is that they're successful. But if they don't come to us with the right, you know, mental and emotional, um, you know, machinery, it's, 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 it's extremely difficult. It's hard to reprogram somebody. 
So um, I'm, I'm glad to help people personally on the side and help them uh, feel better about themselves and all that. But when it comes to business, I've got it. The business to me is its own entity that can't speak. It doesn't have a voice. So we need to speak for it and protect it. That's why we do that. It's not to be mean. It's being respectful is what it is. I mean, I'd rather think about it. Would you rather somebody tell you what you want to hear to feel good or would you rather have somebody tell you the truth? You know? Well, and so, two, you, that's how you help people out. Honestly, you exactly, first of all, you yeah. tell them the truth. They have personal responsibility. You tell them what is needed and what's great. Like, I'm helping you. I'm like, here's where you need to be. Here's what you need to understand. But if you don't want to do what you need to do to help yourself, that is nobody's problem but your own. And, you know, you never want to take personal responsibility away from people, ever. Because the moment you do, you rob them of progress. You take away something out of them that is so vital that they can never make it, right? We see this in children. We see this in, you know, everything. Like my kids are like, oh, dad, I'm so excited to come work with for, for you and your company. And I'm like, yep, it's going to be great. After you go work for other people and after you go show yourself and prove to me that you're going to be a good asset to my organization. That's what I tell my kids. Like, if you work for me, you better be ready to perform. You're going to have to do sales. You're going to have to work. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But I am not taking away your responsibility because that's what makes us who we are. And maybe I'm a little harsh on that and everything because I come from a sales background where I ate what I killed. And that was our mentality. If I don't earn it, I don't eat it. And so I woke up every morning kissed my wife goodbye and knew that I got to go hunt because I got kids, got to beat them, right? Um, And that's a motivator and that strived me to get better, right? And when you look, whether you're the real estate or the wannabe investor, step up to the table. It's okay if you're not there, but step up to the table and then ask that, that broker who's good, say, what do you need out of me? And then when they tell you, go back, go figure out what numbers you want, play with stuff, and then go back to them and show them your progress, I, I, I know you, Gary, as well as me. I love that when you do that. They, they have the drive. They have the ambition. They come back. They said, I did, I did what you said. You're like, whoa, okay. Well, here's the next step, right? Happy to help them and happy to get, get going. So you don't have to be there. If you're, if you're a broker or someone looking at this, listening to you know Gary, and you're going, oh, geez, well, I'm not certified, or I don't know, or how do I find these guys? It, that's okay. You don't need to be there yet. But you need to be willing to take on the right steps to get certified, understand this stuff. And then when you, or if you're a broker, then if you're not a broker, if you want to work with those that have done all the effort to get to that level, to where they understand this, and those brokers are at that higher level, well, you need to expect to rise up too as an investor. And that's where, you know, this is a lot like networking stuff, but this is where success comes from. This is where the deal flow starts to go. I've never even bought an on-market deal. It's never happened because I've never needed to. Um, and that comes from our work with other people and our understanding of what we want. Anyways, this is, sorry, I, I know I'm going yeah, that's off. That's okay. It's just no, such a good thing you're talking about here and so important for people starting out. Well, hey, what it comes down to, wherever you want to go in life, you've, you've got to hang around people who are already where you want to go. They're already there. That's, that's, and you do that through training, education, and masterminds, mentorships. It, whatever it takes, just to, like you said with the investor, you know, the, the, the people, the guy you just described there, that's the kind of person I hire. You know, if it's, it's the same thing with anybody who's successful, don't come to don't come to somebody up here with, a, I don't know even what to do that, that, that they can't help you. But if you say I did 
X, I got Y, I thought I'd get Z. Would you please give me a minute just to help me see? Most successful people who are the kind of people to work with or say, sit down, young man, let me show you, let me show you, uh, let's, let's, turn, let's take that apart, let's get the education, get the information, take the right action, and that's how you get the right results. I've, I've mentored like literally two or three people. I don't like to do mentoring stuff, but I had some friends and whatnot. And there was one guy that I mentored. Um, he's the co-host on this thing is rock. He ended up starting an online business. He has properties all over. He's 24. Um, but that was the only reason why he met me. I was speaking at a thing, came up after me, didn't even think twice about it. Told him, Hey, you want to be, a, you got to do this, this, and this. Sure enough, get an email call. Hey, I did this, this, and this. What next? And it was like, Oh, okay. Well, here's what's next. Kept coming back. When he came back, he didn't say, I want you to do this for me. He didn't say, show me what, you know, it's this. He said, what do I need to do? And then he came back showing that you did it. It, 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 That's, you're right. You're exactly right. It's the fact that, you know, that you're, he's going to put in the initiative. They have the drive. They're willing to make themselves better Then successful. People are like, you don't have to be awesome. You could be as novice as you get. And he was novice. I mean, we're talking like he was 18, didn't know anything about real estate or anything coming out, had, had big hopes and dreams, but he just worked for it. And I, 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 I mean, you know, I'm sure you mentor a lot of people, but that's, that's, you know, that's what you got to do if you're wanting to be mentored like by a guy like Gary. Yeah, yeah it takes, uh, it really is a passion. I mean, you have to have a, a certain uh, profile uh, to, to, to really want to teach because there's a lot of frustrations, but, but the, the fulfillment you get, I mean, if you have that, if that, that, that that's your path in life, um, the fulfillment, like you can't put a price on it. I mean, when people call me up months later, I mean, I've had people call me up after years. One guy's, uh, way back in 2003, four is my client. And, um, it was for years. I haven't seen him. Well, actually I just saw him in Sarasota two years ago, but I haven't seen him 10 years before that. He still contacts me. So I just want to tell you, Gary, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for what you showed me because, and I just bought whatever, you know, stores facility, mobile home park, that kind of thing. And, um, and is um, he's actually pretty hype. He's actually one of the managing directors for U- UBS financial. Uh, but, you know, that market, the stock market, that's like this real estate. Yes. The last recession led the real estate uh, recession. That's very unique. Yep. Once in a hundred yeah. year. Yep. And, and real estate never goes to zero. So in any case, uh, it's a, it's like gold, you know, yes, it's going to go up and down, but it holds its value. Uh, so in any case, um, you have, when you have that, anybody that's teaching, you know what I'm talking about. I didn't know that when I was younger, I didn't know I was going to enjoy this. I, I did it because I needed to have right the right people to work with me. That's why I did it. Turns out it was extremely fulfilling. And when people come up to me and say those things, I see people at conferences. I don't even remember who they are. And I'm like, you know, I, I whatever, read your book. I took your course. I, whatever. I just, you, you called me on the phone. People are surprised that I actually call them back. It, it totally freaks them out. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So they are, you know, and yeah. you brought up an interesting point I want to hit on this real estate thing. And I, and I had a conversation with the guy that talked about this, like so much wealth was lost in the real estate crash of 08. And I, and I told him like, that's not true at all. The wealth was transferred. It wasn't lost because all those homes, everything else, they're all worth way more than they were back then. So because one person lost it, another person got it. And the gains that they lost, that person now has all of it plus more. The wealth isn't gone. It's not. 
It's still there just because it was transferred from one person to another. And that's why in lots of these cyclical things, their wealth transfers. They're not lost. Now, that's not true like in the dot-com bubble. Lots of those companies, in fact, the vast majority of those dot-com companies are gone. They're vanished. There's nothing there anymore. A stock that was $100 went to zero. Everyone that put the money in it, it disappeared, right? That's not true with real estate. You want to hear something really interesting? Hmm. And I'll start with a phrase. We have, you've probably heard this from David Osborne. In real estate, we don't wait and buy. We buy and wait. And here's, here's a practical example of what we mean by that. People say, I'll wait till the, crap, the, bottom, the market bottoms out and I'll buy then. I'm like, in the meantime, you're letting opportunities go by. So check this out. Before the last recession, this late 2000, late summer of 2007, before the crash, summer of 2000, the stock market was around 7,000 and some change, right? Now, this current market, we're on the way back up already. It went in the last month, it dropped down from 30,000 to 16 and some change. Even if you sold at that level, think about it. You bought at less than 8,000 at the peak of the last market. If you sold at the trough in this one, it still is twice as high as the peak of the last one. I mean, the numbers don't lie. The numbers tell the truth. So don't ever, anybody that tries to play the market and wait and see, I say the wait and see attitude is I'm going to lose attitude. The people that say, I'm going to figure out what's working right now, and if 75% of the businesses are operating, I'm going to work with those people, right? Well, if you have markets, you look at good markets in the United States, they're growing at 10% a year. If you say, I'm going to wait till the the next recession to buy buy real estate, five years go by, that real estate has to drop by over 50% in value for you to get the same deal in just five years. Now take that out to 10. I mean, it's, you know, you're talking the worst real estate crisis in history that happened where, yes, houses lost 50% of their value, right? But they rebounded immediately. So if you bought a house in 2007 at the the height of it today, that house is worth more. So in a 10-year period of time, you lost 50 and it came right back up. And to try to time, that was the only time that in the five years prior, if you would have waited, it would have paid off in the entire real estate cycle in the United States. You had one time in a five-year period that it was less five years than it was previously. If you're trying to time that, I mean, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. So like we say, we don't time markets. If a good deal at the top of a market is a good deal at the bottom of a market. It is. 10 years later, they're all good deals, right? Why don't we go before we go? Can you tell people how to get a hold of you, um, where to go? We'll throw the show notes and everything in, but where can people find you? Well, i tell you what, really what I like to do is just um, come from contribution and serve first. So there's two ways, two things people can do that don't cost anything. Just just plug yourself in and, you know, you got to take action. It's coming upon you to take, to take responsibility. So if you go to YouTube, go to... Uh, uh, real estate with Gary Wilson uh, channel. And then there's a bunch of playlists, all three, they're all free videos. There's no hooks. There's no, Hey, watch this video and get this, you know, just watch the video. Just learn. There's, there's playlists with dozens, hundreds of videos on flipping, buying rentals, managing rentals, wholesaling, being an investor agent. The other thing too, is what I really think for people should do is to plug yourself in, go to the, go to this, the website, excuse me, myinvestmentservices.com. Click on the members area. If you're already a member, you know what to do. If you're not, just go to the one that says learn more. They give you a month for free. 
just grab pri private lenders reports, cash buyers reports, all the dozens of websites to research people and properties. Just get it, guys. It's all free. And plug and go to the community site and meet all these other investor agents, okay? So if you're an investor looking to get started, man, I'd go there. That's what I would do. So in any case, that's and, a, and they can know, find the, where, like, so let's say that I'm in Boston and I'm wanting to look for an agent. I can go on there and select, like, Boston, find an agent in the area or whatever and say, hey, you know, reach out to them. Hey, I'd love to meet up for coffee or whatever. I tell you, there's a toter off. Uh, uh, Justin Jarbo. Justin Jarbo is a good one. By the way, I was a sponsor. <laughs> oh. he runs a, he's an investor, runs a team freaking rock star so they're on there just go out there and you'll see how to communicate with them connect with them doesn't cost anything but now you got the right people serving you to know what they're doing that's that's invaluable you know yeah so, awesome yeah. hey yeah. gary thank you i appreciate your time appreciate you coming on the podcast and all your wisdom shared and Glad we will talk soon so appreciate it Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.